Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anche Emmet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Vayera, Standing Up for Justice. Well, this has been a, a pretty hard week, hasn't it? Oh, man. I, I keep thinking that uh, the, the worst has passed us. I think there was like a 72-hour period where I thought things were calming down and that was foolish of me to think that we might actually get to relax a little bit and uh, stop stressing so much. Yeah. I wonder how many people uh, were watching football games just to escape. That was really helpful to anything to escape right now. We have battles over watching the news in our household because I just can't take it anymore. Like the fact that it's actually happening is enough. And I'm reading about it. I'm, I'm more than I'd care to, but I just, I've hit a limit. I've hit the wall where I'd rather just ignore it and maybe check in later. And it's too much for me to handle right now. It's too stressful. I'm sure you speak for many people. What happened in Washington is obviously and rightfully a big story. But meanwhile, our coronavirus numbers are off the charts and we're setting new records daily. And the rollout of the vaccine isn't what we had hoped it would be. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, and I didn't want to hear about it anymore. Come on, Rabbi, give me a break. You <laughs> <laughs> can always depend on me. Next right? thing you're going to know, we're going to be talking about the plagues. Yeah. Oh, nice segue. Nice segue. <laughs> it does feel like we're living in that Tell time. Here. Yeah, here we are. And Vayera, the, this week's Parsha, begins the destruction of Egypt through the plagues. And we're going to see Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh. And Aaron is going to be very much part of this, but Moses is going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. God is going to identify God's self as Eheyeh, Sher Eheyeh, I will be who I will be. All of this is happening in this Parsha, and God is making God's self known. But there's a really interesting aspect of the Parsha that I want to share with you that actually... Um, is picked up in the Midrash in a, in a way that I think has some relevance to our own age. And that is that when we see the, the movie version of the Ten Commandments, is Moses is at the center. But as the story unfolds in this week's portion, Aaron is the one who raises the rod to hit the Nile or touch the Nile as it turns to blood. Aaron's the one who uses the rod to unleash the frogs. Aaron's the one who hits the ground when the lice cover the land. And then the Torah turns its attention to Moses being the catalyst for the rest of the uh, plagues. And the Midrash picks up on this in a really interesting way. It says that when God says to Moses, the Nile's going to turn to blood, you need to tap it with your rod. Moses says, I can't do that because the Nile saved me. When I was a baby, my mother and sister put me in a basket, and it was the Nile that carried me to Pharaoh's daughter. So no, the Nile saved my life. I'm not going to turn against it, either for the plague of uh, blood or frogs. And when I killed the Egyptian taskmaster, I hid him in the sand, and it gave me enough time to escape. So again, the ground itself saved me. So how can I turn my back against them. So I won't participate as the direct catalyst for these first three plagues. And I was thinking there is a sense of gratitude here in a very profound way. But I also think that what's happening here is that Moses is saying that you don't turn your back on things that give you life, things that sustain you, 
And I think that has something to say for what's going on in Washington and the taking of the Capitol. Wow, that's a, that's a lot um, to absorb. Um, uh, it's interesting that Moses is, is sensitive about these first three issues, but, but he's not so sensitive about the others. He has no, I guess, warm feelings for the cattle or the other victims of future plagues. I got to understand that a little bit. But to bring it around to the what's happening now in our nation's capital, you know, I, I try to understand, I try to be sympathetic, what could drive people to take an action like that. And they've been lied to and misinformed for so long that they they really believe i think that they are they're doing what their what their leader has commanded them in taking to the capital and basically perhaps trying to overthrow their own government what could lead people to that state of mind clearly if if your point is that the folks attacking the capital have lost sight of the symbols that have made this country great that I, i couldn't agree with you more on that i definitely think that's part of it When you hear people say, this isn't their house, this is my house, this is the people's house, they work for me, that is the worst distillation of what America is all about. Because when we use the word me in American history, we're not really referring to me, Michael Siegel, but it's we, the people. What we were watching were people saying, no, no, they work for me, whoever I am. And they're not doing what I want them to do. Therefore, I'm coming in to wreak havoc so that I can get my way. And the irony to me of what was happening was that the very institution that affords people freedom, the freedoms that they could demonstrate, that they could use their voices, that they could stand up and support one candidate over the other, or to express their grievances, that very institution was under siege. And in a sense, that that to me is what Moses was saying. I'm not going to attack that which gave me life. I'm not going to be the one to do that because my gratitude is there. And there was no gratitude for the American system. There was only anger and grievance and an unwillingness to see any other path but but your own. Yeah, and... and um... I find it really depressing on so many levels. And you you mentioned, you know, we the people, that we should think of this as our house, not my house. The problem I have with that is that we the people has always been at best a lie or at, at most an unfulfilled promise in our Constitution. The promise of freedom and justice and equality for all was was a false one. It was made at the time with the complete knowledge that it did not include everyone, that a significant portion of the people in this country were enslaved and did not have those freedoms. And ever since then, we have failed to live up to that promise of we the people. And we remain a really deeply divided country. We fought a a civil war over that division, and we're still fighting wars over who these rights should belong to. There's still a sense that it should be me, 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 and I don't care who's left out. I I think you may be misinterpreting me here. When I said people are talking about me as opposed to we, I think that's a statement of fact. I don't think democracy can function without a sense that we are part of a larger community and there are others in this community who are in need and we have to see the whole and not just 
the individual. I think that that's patently true. But when I said that, I, I hope you didn't think I was presenting this as a public service announcement with kind of patriotic music in the background. The problems are very real. And throughout the history of this country, there have always been people who have not been able to attain the American dream. And we are painfully, this past year, aware of that. But if we can't honor the institutions that gave us life, if we can't treat the Congress itself as a sacred place, it's just inviting anarchy, aren't we? Yeah, I think that's exactly what we were inviting. And it was explicit. It was being organized. Buses were being paid for in advance in support of anarchy. Let's go and take down the system. Let's go and refuse to honor the, the results of a democratic election. Um, I think that that is... Um, that's exactly what we saw happening this week. I was very afraid, and I have been very afraid, of what's happening, because I think that in many ways, we may not be at the beginning of the end, but the end of the beginning in this one. I think that we're going to have to take a long, hard look at anarchy in this country and groups that don't feel as though they need to follow the law and are willing to go outside of the system to get what they want. I think that is a very dangerous thing. And some of these groups, the fact is, and just from a Jewish perspective, to see people walking around with Camp Auschwitz t-shirts yeah. on was just horrifying because at the heart of QAnon and groups like that is a deeply anti-Semitic strain. But it's interesting, as I said, I've been very nervous about this. And yesterday, I spoke to kids in the religious school. And uh, your daughter was part of the group, by the way. And I engaged them in a discussion. And what I did was I went around and I said, give me a word that describes your feelings right now. And I heard words like uh, horrified, disappointed, ashamed, disgrace. What I didn't hear was fear. Hmm. I thought that was very powerful. And what I think our kids are showing us is really a very sophisticated, very deep understanding of the real damage of what's happening. Let's put aside how we're seen in the world, but how we see each other how we see each other. That's what happens when we can't even agree on the most basic elements of tenants of this country and the most basic institutions and their semi-sacred nature. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that, um, you know, to tie it back to what you began by saying about, you know, Moses and his refusal to damage the, the Nile, that's leadership. That leadership was also an expression of concern for the other, that it was not all about himself. It was not all about his goals. He was thinking about something bigger than himself. And that's what we look to our leaders for. If the kids in Sunday school were not feeling fear, I'd like to think that that might have something to do with the leadership that their parents have shown by calming their fears. Leaders can stoke fear. They can use it to amass more power, or they can unselfishly calm our fears and restore our faith in something bigger than than ourselves. But how do you do that when we're not telling the same story? Yeah. I and, and I want to look with you at what's happening and every Shabbat. We're talking about a Torah reading that's going to be read this Shabbat. And it's going to be read in the most liberal synagogue and the most ultra-Orthodox synagogue. Same portion, same story. 
And we will draw radically different conclusions depending on which synagogue you happen to be visiting, right? Sure. But we are telling a common story, our story. And that binds us together as a people. We there in some synagogues, people are going to sit around and they're going to say, yes, the Nile actually turned to blood. Other people will say that the Nile didn't actually turn to blood, but it was a drought and the water level went down to a level that the red clay bottom made it look like blood. Other people are going to say Moses never existed. Right. So this is going to be radically different depending on where you are and on the interpretation and its understanding. But it's the same story. We don't have a place in America to tell our story and to tell the same common story and to weave in and to do it with nuance. So it's not either or it's not either, you know, kind of George Washington crossing the Delaware in the midst of the winter storms or people coming on the bottom of ships as slaves, it's both together, either and or. And that and, and I don't think that we have figured out, A, how to tell a common story and where to tell a common story. Schools used to be a place where we learned civics, but where do we learn these things today? And how do we do it as a society? And so here you have this, here you have a kind of a Jewish, um, a Jewish identification moment with a story, and that keeps us together as a, in a, as a people. I think that's a really good point, and I think um, you know, not to take it down to too granular, granular of a level, but the fact that our media has become so divided that everybody has their own place to get their news, and we're not sharing a story anymore. We're not agreeing on even the basics of what happens. You know, did it rain yesterday or didn't it rain? Um, the fact that we can't even, you know, trust ourselves to, to, to share and understand the same basic information about what's happening to our country um, is really a, a huge part of the problem. And, and that was really made clear in the, in the past week. Well, we've clearly got a long way to go. God willing, we have a, a new opportunity to have a peaceful transfer of power. And the story goes on. And we're part of it. And I hope that we'll participate together in a better tomorrow. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.